Ellie, you can start us off. Okay, hi, welcome back to our podcast. So, as our first topic today, since chapter 12 was a pretty dark chapter, what impact do you think rape or attempted rape has on a child and for their whole life? I noticed that when she tried talking about it to someone else, no one really believed her, even though the person that she talked to was a kid like her, it just shows how naive people can be and how easy it can be to just completely dismiss someone like that because, you know, it's something difficult to talk about and no one really wants to talk about difficult topics. I think it sort of shows that since it, like, nearly happened to her, it, like, had such a big toll on her and her life, I guess. And when she finally, like, well, later on after she told people in the book, it was, like, lifted from her. And, like, how when people are actually, like, when it actually does happen to them, they're basically somewhat banished from their families, I guess, because the families don't want anything to do with them. Yeah, I agree. And um, I also think that um, it leaves... Uh, rape leaves like a huge impact on anyone but on a child it's even more of an impact and it's like what happened in the book with Sandra um, she wasn't able to trust anyone even family members like that you would normally uh, put all your trust in and I know it's already been said but yeah um, if a child would try to speak up about it people wouldn't really believe them because like they think that oh you don't know what you're talking about uh, they wouldn't do that and it just it's just a huge impact on them yeah and it's super strange to me also because for the most part especially when they're really young children tell the straight up truth like they don't really try and cover anything they tell exactly what they feel they don't you know try and cover anything up for the most part like obviously like earlier in the book she hides the fact that she would go to the lake with her siblings and stuff but in this sort of situation like if something's wrong they're going to tell someone and if that shut down then it's not something that can really be handled and obviously it must have taken a lot of strength for her to write about her experience in this book and to release that information to strangers when she hasn't even confronted people that she knows um and i also think oh i'm sorry <laughs> no you, no, can, you go. can go okay um i also think that when it does happen to a child, they're afraid to speak up because they don't know how the adults are going to react and they, they think that they're not going to believe them. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to add that. Oh, and um, I was just going to say that, I like Natalie, I believe, was saying that she hasn't even told her own parents or anyone that she had been through this situation. So I just thought... It was so brave of her and strong of her to be able to come out and write it in a book when she hasn't even told anyone, like, her closest family members. Right, and obviously, like, this person that she was with, who she called uh, Ganza because she didn't want to reveal her real name, um, she knows that she didn't do anything wrong and that they were both children and those things happen, sadly, like every single day. 
and she knows that it genuinely wasn't her fault, but she still wonders if she thinks about it to this day. Like, what if I had believed her? What, like, obviously it's traumatic to talk about your father in that kind of way, but, I mean, it could potentially stop it from happening to other girls, you know? Yeah, and then I have a quote for that, is that what I thought was pretty interesting was how she said, most rapes happen at the hands of a relative or friend, not a stranger. I wanted girls to know that they have the power to speak out, that they don't have to stay quiet. And I just showed that, like, I guess um, the strength it took for her to open up about this in this book because it wasn't something that she ever covered beforehand. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think that sort of goes back to, I think, what Zane said about how, like, the people who you trusted the most, I guess, would sort of completely break your trust and it would make it really hard for you to go back to trusting people. So in in the book, Sandra would always, like, try and avoid being with her, like, male relatives or touching the male relatives and stuff like that. Yeah. And... The next topic that I wanted to cover was that when she had the opportunity to move to America, do you think that you could have had the strength she had to relocate yourself? Honest, in all honesty, like, at, when we're talking about, like, the Rwandan massacre or the Rwandan genocide, like, it's very difficult to sort of think, okay, well, they literally had to leave the place that they felt most comfortable in because they couldn't feel comfortable any in it anymore. And obviously it's a difficult thing to do, and especially as a child, because you're growing up with that place. And so by moving to a completely different area, you're learning brand new things and you're having to completely change up everything that you knew and loved. Yeah, and in the book, she talked about how being moved to America, while it while it was good, she also thought that people who were like refugees, they all came from something very traumatic. So she felt that they should all receive some sort of like like therapy, I guess, or someone to talk to about it, to deal with their like what deal with their past and have something to cope with it. Yeah, and especially because I know a lot of people in my family or people that I have talked to in previous podcasts have said, oh, I'm fine with immigrants, but they have to come here legally. Well, you already see in in this book that it's a very long process to actually get to America legally, and sometimes it's not even a insured thing because you end up having to go through this entire process of answering questions and people will randomly come over to your house and question you and it took her family an entire year to even be accepted to move to America and it took even longer to actually get to America so it really sheds light on how difficult it is and why people, quote, move here illegally when no person should be illegal on stolen land.
Yeah, and I sort of think that, like, when, like, refugees, I guess, come here, it's sort of like, hey, America's thinking, well, we're doing really good for them, and, like, this is the best case scenario for them, I guess. But really, we should be helping more in other places. And if it's a worst case scenario, I guess, they need to move here. But I, I don't really know. Yeah, and it when she talked about it in the church in a later chapter um, about her experience and what happened to her, um, people started crying and she didn't realize, hey, these people do care. They just don't know what happens because people in the United States, although it seems like this dreamland where everyone knows everything and everything should be possible, people don't know everything and that's just something that people have to overcome and I think it was a gift and a curse that she was brought to America because she could share that story with many more people like how she did it in this book how she did it at her church and it really opened up people's eyes to what they actually go through and it also at the same time shuts down the African stereotypes yeah and also when like just being an immigrant and coming here at like 14 she talks about in a lot of chapters how it's hard for her to fit in with the black kids in America how they told her that she spoke quote-unquote white and how she had too short hair and how she wasn't actually a part of them even though her skin color was black I was gonna mention that too um I think this just also ties back to like the very beginning of the book and in our last podcast that racism doesn't just exist between two different races like here in America that we had slavery you know the slavery exists even between um their own kind well obviously it's not to that extent anymore but you know people are judged just for being people and it doesn't really matter for where you come from it's just how it is yeah and um i know this is something that um the real lifer should be talking about but i've seen a video before where a guy explained how white pride isn't a thing and and like how skin color can't be um a way of pride and he explained that you could be proud of your ethnicity you can be proud of where you were born, but there's no such thing as white pride, and the argument that other, quote, colors have pride isn't necessarily, well, it isn't true whatsoever, because Asian isn't a color, or um, European isn't a color, like, these sorts of things are definitely way more mixed, and I think, and then he addressed how the only exception is black pride because these people could have come from warring tribes and they don't know that they don't know they probably have a completely different experience in Africa but their American experience is similar so that's the way that they can connect to each other and that's typically where people start talking about their black pride and how the unity is more common nowadays.
Yeah, and I want to add to go back to what you said earlier about how the when she went to the church and she talked about her experience, people didn't really know about what was going on. So I sort of think that has to do with like the last article we read about indifference and how they didn't really it wasn't really affecting them so they weren't really learning about it or they didn't really like i guess care to learn about it but then once she came to them and she told them the story it really took a toll on them and it it affected them emotionally i guess sort of but uh, yeah yeah and um going on to another topic somewhat related to this is um, when she was trying to fit into society and in America and how kids would throw rocks at her and make racial slurs about her, how was her faith in Christianity just kind of tanking and how did it get restored and what were your opinions on it? I think that her faith was sort of just going down because like everything in her life at that point was sort of like falling apart because when she was in Rwanda she was like a living pretty well and then when she came to America she was in poverty and everything was different she needed to adapt to what was going on in society and like people throwing the rocks or saying racial slurs towards her it, it broke her down even more I guess because she was already going through a, a lot and that just kept adding on and that really destroyed her faith in God because it's, you're supposed to help me. Why aren't you helping me now? Yeah, and uh, branching off of that, um, obviously her family moved to America for a better life. And even back in Africa, she was still bullied for being Rwandan. And it didn't seem like an issue to her because she was like, well, why are you telling me this? I are, I, I've never been there. That's not who I am. And then here in America, while she's still trying to learn and be better and seem to fit into whatever the American ideal is, she's still being bullied by people who look like her. And that must just be like absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah, and I feel yeah, like when, oh, 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 all I was going to say is that I feel like when Sandra's dad, too, was hit by a van, that kind of just destroyed her faith in God, too, because it's saying that they thought that America would be a great place for new opportunities, and yet here my dad is on basically life support. He's in a coma, and God isn't doing anything for me to help me. And I also think that's really heartbreaking because their dad really tried super hard to get them to America and give them a better life. And then she just sees him in the hospital, unable to move and everything. So I definitely understand why she felt that way. And yeah, I just, I just wanted to add that. Yeah, and it reminds me of, um, in my last podcast, I read the book with my group called Night by... Elevisal, and oh, where was I going with this? Um, Giovanna, uh, could you repeat what you said? I forgot where I was going with it. Oh yeah, I said how um, her dad tried super hard to get them to where they are, and then she just sees him like 
in the hospital, you know, just laying there, unable to like move, talk, or anything, you know. So I think, okay, okay. yeah, <laughs> it's okay. It happens. Yeah. So in the book Night, I obviously he was a kid when he experienced the Holocaust and was a victim of so many terrible things. And his father, who we really looked up to, and a lot of other people actually looked up to, was becoming weaker and was, he eventually died, but seeing him become weaker and weaker and being just completely out of it made him feel like he was losing control of his life because the parents are supposed to be the ones that know everything. The parents are supposed to be the ones that guide you through life, but if you're the one who has to guide your parent through life, that can really <laughs> just not be a good thing because it teaches the kid that they don't have anyone to lean on anymore and it ends up giving people like I guess abandonment issues in a way so yeah um answering the second part of the question what do we think restored her faith I think what really brought her faith back is when she realized that these people just didn't know her life, they didn't understand because they just weren't informed and people really did care. So I think so I think when she came to this realization that people do care, uh, I think she realized she was she realized or she regained her gain her her faith back. Yeah, and I also think her faith was restored when her father finally woke up and he was starting to get better after his memory, after he was having problems with his memory. So yeah, I think that also helped with restoring her faith. Yeah, I think another part in restoring her faith was uh, meeting Linda, who was the priest, I think it was, at her church. And uh, she was an incredible person and like a huge figure to uh, Sandra and her family and was really kind and understanding towards them. And she was able to tell them anyway and provide guidance um, to help Sandra uh, restore faith and forgive God. Yeah, and I think another thing that sort of restored her faith was um, her brother Alex went out on a kayak in a lake and she joined him because she thought, oh, if he can do it well, then I can too. And she almost got stuck out there. She couldn't turn her boat around. And the fact that people were helping her, I feel like, also helped restore her faith in a way. Yeah, I agree with that because it showed her that people actually care about her. So yeah, I agree with what you said, Natalie. Yeah, I agree. The, all the good things that sort of started happening in her life, like her dad waking up, people like caring about her, her getting accepted into the school were starting to restore her faith in God. And... Yeah, so moving on to the next topic. I noticed a lot in the chapters, she talked about in one chapter that um, when she moved to America, she was suddenly influenced by and saw how much America advertises body and body size. And she didn't even notice body weight until like advertisements for media and TV and back home, like her body weight didn't really matter. So what were you guys' thoughts on that? So, so, oh, you can go ahead. Oh, no, it's okay. You can go. I'll go after you. 
Okay, so I noticed that obviously she was having a lot of self-confidence issues because she was in a new place and she was saying, oh, well, these people are doing this thing, so maybe I should do it too because obviously she's a kid and kids adapt better to change because they're still growing, their brains are still developing, and um, I think it's a good time to bring into the discussion that her dad made her a feminist because obviously we saw that he was he absolutely loved his wife because she was smart and she was educated and that isn't something that's very common especially in Africa when women are basically sold off to marriage and her dad really taught her self-love and I think that's really important and it's good to see that a man is doing it for a change because typically men are the ones enforcing the idea that women have to be skinny and all these things and it's a really unhealthy standard to uphold and I think her father if her father wasn't there even though he did go into a three-month coma if he wasn't there at all she probably wouldn't have made it Yeah, and I also think he really helped her um, when she was getting made fun of for her hair and stuff like that. He would he didn't understand why she felt the need to like fit in and change herself. And I think him like explaining to her that she's beautiful the way she is um, helped with her um, with her self confidence. Well, I do agree with you guys, but when she was, I think if she was in the grocery store or at somewhere getting clothes I think she saw an overweight person and she was confused why they were so overweight she thought that they were sick or something like that and I think that shows how in her home in Rwanda people really didn't have enough food to like do that really and she was confused how that how that happened yeah and I think seeing all these people just going around like um with the man who helped her, John, um, he was obviously very overweight, and he would drive over to the store in a car, get out, and then when he got into the store, he would get on a little cart type thing that would drive them around, and I think it really sort of confused her, because where she's from, everyone walks around everywhere, cars aren't really terribly, I guess, popular, because they don't need them, and... I think it really makes her be like, okay, this is very strange. And I was actually surprised that this didn't change her views on how she should look. Because obviously a bunch of these people were overweight. But the advertisements made it seem like she needed to be thin and have long hair. And not only in the advertisements, but at school. And I think it reflects on America's ideas of beauty because obviously a bunch of people are super overweight like diabetes and um, being obese has been one of the leading causes of death in America for a very long time and it and I think it's mainly because of the sugar additives that are put into food but also conveniences 
the main thing in America. Like, that's how people make money. And so by making cars, by, um, by making planes and everything, like, they really don't have people do the most exercise that they can, and they actually end up getting more and more overweight, and it's sort of like, I guess, making people have to go to the doctor more, and then the doctor gets more money, and then more people are in debt, and these body images and the leading to poverty or the overpricing for a doctor is, I think, very, very bad because obviously capitalism only really benefits the seller or the producer. Yeah, and I want to add on to what you just said. So back in Rwanda or in her camps they would mostly eat extremely healthy food and they would always be doing physical activities or usually walking to wherever they needed to get to and here in America that's really the complete opposite people are always driving places or flying on planes and then the food isn't always healthy it's usually very unhealthy even if they tried to promote it as healthy yeah Yeah. oh Oh, sorry Oh, okay, thank you. Uh, I was just going to say that, um, like, the chicken, she said that they would take her to the grocery store and they would pick out what they needed, but and the spices and everything that her mom used to prepare the chicken, but she said that it was just never the same because here in America, you know, they have they inject animals with so many stereos, well, drugs and stuff to make them fat faster compared to over there everything is fed naturally and there's no preservatives or anything it's just it's all natural yeah and i was going to mention how um she says it came to a point where she like completely stopped eating meat because it didn't taste the same as it did um from where she came from yeah and i think that leads back to how everything benefits the producer so like obviously People make bigger chickens so that they can sell it for more, and, like, these massive chicken breasts, like, they look like turkey breasts, almost, and I actually, uh, recently, not recently, but a few years back, saw a video where they have these chickens that they breed to be super muscly, and they grow so quickly that the muscle on them grows super fast, but their legs don't grow fast enough. So they end up having a lot of meat on them, but their legs literally break from how fast they're growing. I feel like, yeah, that that is a good example of how America is sort of industry-based and like producer-based where the consumer's best interest is not kept at mind, but rather it's um, focused on the profit that's being made to benefit themselves. And I feel like America also has like a huge effect on, well, America in general just has um, a lot of advertising towards a specific body weight and like what you need to do to obtain that, whether healthy or unhealthy. Right, and we're reaching around 28 minutes right now, so I think this would be a good time to move on to the next topic. 
So the next topic that I wanted to talk about was when um, her father created a choir and Sandra was a part of that choir and how one day where Princess wasn't there to give the introductory speech. How do you think that her experience as the first time of being the person who was able to talk to the audience really shaped her life? I think because she was able to go up and talk about these things, that really gave her the strength to write this book itself because if she had never gone up there and become the speaker for her people and sharing her experience, then I don't think she would have been able to share her story in this way, or at least as this broadly known. And I think telling that story really gave her an understanding of the world. Like, yes, people do care. They just really don't know, like we've said previously. And I think this really shaped the way she saw people as a whole and the reason why, again, she's a feminist because feminism is way more than just fighting for women's rights and all that. It's about combating toxic masculinity. It's fighting for basically every minority and every, you know, every person that has a struggle. Yeah, yeah and, and I sort also, of... Oh, 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 no, you can go. I'll go after you. Alright. So I think that when she got up onto the stage, she was super nervous and she was, I guess, reading from the script or the speech, whatever they had written down there. But once she sort of got into reading it, she started to go off on her own and talk about what she wanted to talk about. And I feel like that really gave her the ability to like tell her tell her story like she did in this book here. Because when she was just reading from the speech, it's not like it it wasn't really what she felt needed to be talked about and told to other people and what other people should know, but when she finally got to talk about what she wanted to, I, I think that really gave her the ability or strength to write this book because she saw that people did care and they wanted to listen. I think also the 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 scenario of when she was in in her class or her history class, I believe they were watching the video of um it, it was also a video I believe of people who had been in camps and stuff and had gone through, like, terrible things. And she said that, you know, while watching, the teacher had warned her, but she had to step away because it, it just brought her back all the memories. But when she came back, she explained to her to her peers and her classmates that, or a brief, you know, summary of what had happened to her. And I think when her, just like the people in the church and when she talked to other people, they took the, kids in her class realized that you know she had been through so much and you know it's really not right that they that the news and stuff doesn't inform you of what's happening outside of the U.S. And I think that also connects back to when the American woman was asking them their first or second set of questions when they were trying to actually be brought to America um, she had this indifference about it because either because she just was doing it solely to do it 
or because it's really hard to wrap your head around these kinds of things because obviously like it, it makes some people cry some people are just completely like shocked about it and you know like obviously a bunch of people cried and a bunch of people felt bad for her but I don't think that's what she wanted she wanted people to understand what she went through so that they wouldn't think oh pity on her I I think she really wanted people to understand yeah and I want to add on to what you just said I think that with the lady who was like doing the process of like immigration I think that she didn't really want to hear their stories because she didn't want to get like somewhat biased towards what they'd gone through because if it's like a family of like Sandra a big family that went through a bunch and they lost their family members I think that once you hear those stories it sort of gives you like an emotional attachment to them and you want to see them do good and that's somewhat why she didn't really want to hear that because she didn't want to feel the the need to put some families in and then not others and then I somewhat or I also want to go back to what you guys said about school how she told the her her story and once she told it there were I think there were some kids that didn't really believe what she was saying because it, it and I think that really shows how things that evil could be very unbelievable and we could not think that that would ever happen and when we finally learn that it did we we might not completely believe it and I think that's a good reason to read this book because obviously when you're reading books like this, like the book Night that I just previously read, the book How Dare the Sunrise, and many other true story books, you really think, oh, this is just a story. It, it sounds so surreal, but these things actually happen to people. And that's something completely difficult to process because obviously you weren't there and even for the people who experienced it like Sandra's having trouble letting go of her younger sister still because you know like as a child you don't think oh they're just gonna leave and never come back like if they if they aren't of uh, older age then you don't think that that stuff can happen but it does and it seriously impacts people and she still has this thought that one day her sister is going to come back but sadly she never will yeah so if that was it uh, I think we covered a lot of good points and the ones I had prepared for today so yeah yeah, and uh, although there was uh, more we could have talked about, I think we covered it enough to where uh, we would be good. We have reached uh, 35 and a half minutes. Um, you guys had great conversation. Uh, Giovanna and Zane, thank you for talking more this time. I really, really appreciate it. Um, you guys have a great weekend, and uh, I'll see you next class. All right, bye.